Good morning. Youngins, if you are ready, you can head on back. You got your teachers in the back ready for you. You can head on downstairs and get on with your morning. And as our kids head out, if you would just join me with uh, just a breath prayer. Uh, Jesus, bless our kids. We love our, our kids, and we always feel their, like, the, the, just the, a little bit of the joy just goes and moves to a different part of the building when they, when they are gone. But, um, oh, good morning. It is, uh, it's a great day. Well, my name's Adam, if we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, pastor here at the Vineyard, and I got to tell you, I am really liking the fact that finally the weather is doing what I've been telling it to do for the last several weeks, that we actually, looking at the forecast, we're actually going to have, like, the weather maybe not be below freezing at night, so um, you can always tell that that spring is either here or, uh, you know, about to be here because our lower field down there, um, this is when it looks the best. It It gets so green uh, and it, so it looks like we have like a really awesome lower field down there. Um, it's just weeds. So in a little bit, it's going to be brown and gross. And, but right now we can celebrate the green of the lower field. So praise God for green down there for a short time. Well, uh, let me pray real quick and then we'll get on with our business for the day. Father, would you make us aware of your presence with us now? We say, come Holy Spirit, knowing that you were here before we asked, but asking that you would make your presence known. We pray that you would release the gifts of your spirit. I pray that you would open your word to us, that we would hear your teaching, and through that we would sense your love. And so, Father, would you bring your love now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, celebrating the church calendar is something that we get together. And it's one of the, one of the several reasons that, that meeting together each week is important for our faith. If we take a step back, if we think about our calendar and the church calendar, but if you think, step back into November, November is kind of an important month for us here because November has a very important day. That day is our Christmas decorating party and our chili feed, which we're only, I mean, we we need to start planning for that because being in April, I mean, we're pretty much in the summertime, which means fall is about around the corner and November is coming. Um, But we, (laughs) but if we take a step back into November and we think about how, how that usually is like a kickoff for us for a holiday season, when we, we get the church ready for Christmas, we get the church ready for, for Advent. We have chili together, and, and we just, we, we celebrate, we, we begin a celebration that takes us through the four weeks of Advent, and then at the end of December, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, and, and this is something that we do every year. And then after that, typically, as, as the new year begins, the calendar new year begins, we see a message series that, that involves the life and ministry of Jesus, and this year we went through uh, uh, several months of the Gospel of John, looking for streams of glory that came out of that. And all of that points us towards Holy Week. So first we celebrate Ash Wednesday as a part of that, and we begin the Lent season. And then we go through the Holy Week that, that, that marks the, the trial, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. A lot of times, though, that's kind of where it 
kind of rests until we have our chili feed and, and begin to kick the whole thing off in November. But one of the things that's really actually pretty cool is that the church fathers in the first few centuries of the church took a look at Scripture and said, you know, we can keep this party going all year long. And we can do this, we can party for a purpose. We can tie moments in Scripture to days and to seasons, and, and when we do that, we can experience the meta-narrative of Scripture over and over every year, year after year, just by going through the church calendar. So then what happens is that, that the church calendar becomes another presentation of the gospel of the kingdom. And so what we get to do every year is celebrate everything that happens in this book. And we get to look at Scripture as a meta-narrative. And what we simply mean by that is that this is just one plan captured in this book from beginning to end. It's God's one plan for redemption, for reconciliation, to the, from the, for the Creator to be reconciled back with creation. All of this plays out in Scripture in one story. And we can celebrate the story, the meta-narrative, every year, year after year, by using the church calendar. So, what happens after Easter that, that we can mark with some occasion, and how can that be something that'll point us back to Christmas? We have one holiday coming up in, in a few weeks called Pentecost. And Pentecost is a holiday that, that typically we haven't celebrated as a church family, but we're going to change that this year because we need another thing to celebrate. We need another party, right? So, Pentecost is a holiday that's observed on the seventh Sunday after Easter, and it celebrates the coming of or the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon the followers of Jesus. This is a day that's captured in Scripture in in Acts chapter 2, the day the Spirit of God descended upon the apostles and and the, the first church gathered. It saw Peter preach in this way that, that, that shows he had a new power. In this new power, he preached, and, and thousands of people in Jerusalem came to the Christian faith. So, just like we Advent Christmas, and, and when I say Advent, I'm talking about the way that we prepare and wait, and we take these days and mark our journey towards Advent. We are going to Advent Pentecost by building some anticipation, we're by building a little bit of the celebration, and we're going to prepare our hearts for what the Holy Spirit is doing, but also what he will do by receiving and renewing strength as we receive the presence of the living God in the Holy Spirit. So just like with Christmas, the historical event that we celebrate, it's already happened. It's already here. So we can talk like it's coming, but also we have the, 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 the knowledge that this is an event that's already taken place. With that being said, though, we can still walk through a season of anticipation so we can experience a link with the historical church, with that event, with how that must have felt for the apostles when that actually happened, and fully grasp the gravity of the moment. So as we're kind of thinking about how to do this, one thing about me that that you might not know is I am a a pacer. I I don't think well sitting. I, I, I just, I pace. And so Everywhere that, that I kind of, like, I've got, I've got a route for pacing. If, here in the building, I've got a route that, that takes me out of my office, and, like, I go around, you know, each of the chairs into the cafe, back in, and I just, and I, and I walk this. Uh, you know, sometimes when it's, like, heavy pacing time, I'll actually, like, go in between all the rows and go, you know, just walk and, 
and, and do that kind of thing. And then if there's like, like Brad's got his prayer meeting going on in there and I can't really pace in here, I just walk around the conference room table just in circles uh, back there. Um, but at home, I also have a route. And if you take a detailed look in our, in our living room and kitchen, you can actually see a trail um, like through the carpet that's like, kind of like a game trail that, um, that I just pace. And, and as I pace, a lot of times I think out loud. And so I was thinking out loud one day about this series and, and I could see the outline, like, I could see like a shape that was in the, the kind of like in the, in, in the haze of, of, of what I was trying to say, what I was trying to do, how like, how, how this might be something that, that we could bring forth. And I'm talking out loud and I'm pacing and my eldest kid, the one that refers to herself as, as heir to my fortune, um, was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it is actually pretty funny. <laughs> the joke's going to be on her someday. <laughs> She's sitting on, on the, the couch, and she is engrossed in some YouTube nonsense. And, uh, and without looking up, you know, I don't even, I don't, I'm not even sure that she's aware of my presence as I'm pacing. But without looking up, she just says, Dad, it's not that hard. <laughs> Christmas Advent is about what God brings to us, and Pentecost Advent is about what we're going to bring to the world because of it. It's like, who are you? And, and with that, the words out of the mouth of my air, it just, it, it spoke this power that just dissipated the fog. And I had a better understanding of what all this is about and, and the role, not only the role that Pentecost played for the church, but the role that Pentecost plays in my life and what it means for my life and for the life of the church. What this brings the new context that we have and how it informs our mission and also how it informs the way that we treat each other, the way that we, that we do the things that we do in the time between the Sundays. All of this came into focus as I thought about adventing Pentecost. Now, in our passage today, Luke reports that, that, that Jesus instructed his disciples to wait for the coming of the Spirit. We're going to wait with them while we unpack how we experience the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and how that experience changes the world. While we wait, we're going to recognize the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our church by recognizing the role of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our lives and how this is another example of glory to becoming glory through. In the waiting also, we find time to anticipate, to prepare, and to receive. And this is an important part, especially when you think about how we end every service and we have this time where we offer the opportunity to come forward for prayer. There's time every Sunday for the receipt. Also, just like we Advent Christmas... We're going to build anticipation towards a celebration. This Pentecost celebration, we're, we're preparing in our hearts what the Holy Spirit is doing, what the Holy Spirit can do. We can, we can look at this from the, from the standpoint that, that there is nobody here that isn't called the beloved of Jesus and isn't released to do the things that the beloved does. That, but also we get to anticipate and prepare for a celebration 
because we are going to celebrate Pentecost this year uh, with a night of worship, and uh, we are going to be doing this night of worship on Pentecost on May 28th at Thirsty Street at the Beer Garage. So it's going to be a pretty awesome time, and we're going to advent that celebration together. So one of the things that I like to do, one of the quotes that I like to give as we begin Advent every year for Christmas, I'm going, to bring, I'm going to bring again for our Advent for Pentecost. And this comes from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, and this, this just lands on me when we start thinking about Pentecost. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who have looked forward to something greater to come. That is so true for Christmas when we think about the coming of the Messiah, but it also links us to the glory of the Lord. The glory that we just saw revealed in the Gospel of John, the glory we just celebrated with Holy Week, and it gives us context for Adventing Pentecost. Now, two events that that we're going to talk about today that, that the text helps us kick off our Advent time point us to the unfolding plan of God, and it gives us reason to celebrate The ascension of the risen, alive Jesus back to the Father and the coming of the Holy Spirit. These are two historical events that make the way for Pentecost. We open the new year with with that journey through the book of John, looking for the definition and application of glory in the text. We're able to define glory as the weighty, felt presence of God, the realness of God, The realness felt through the self-expression of God that is Jesus Christ. We track that glory of God all the way through the Gospel of John, from the moment Jesus began his ministry, through his death and resurrection. And now, we see Jesus return to the Father. We see the sending of the Holy Spirit. And with those events, also comes the inauguration of the age of the church. So Pentecost is a day that links the conclusion of the ministry of Jesus on earth with the commencement of the Holy Spirit's work through the church. Just like we celebrate an Advent season to anticipate the birth of Jesus, now we get to celebrate an Advent season anticipating the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to kick this party off together today, starting in Acts chapter 1. This is Luke writing in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that I promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud 
while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you just saw him go. I imagine, you know, sometimes I like to joke about the, the disciples, uh, you know, the now apostles standing there looking up and just waiting for something to happen, like feeling the weight of the moment. What do we do now? And, and one of the things that we know is that God loves us enough that he tells us. When we are at a loss, when we're not sure what happens next, God comes and he gives us a prompting and he tells them, wait here, but also get to work. Before we, we look at what it is for the apostles to do, let's first look at what Jesus did, and then we're going to take a crack at what Jesus said in this passage. Luke gives us a really interesting preface here. Now remember that, that Luke's work was done in two volumes that work together, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He opens the book of Acts by referring to the gospel he wrote, and he uses the word began, which is really interesting. So what he's saying is the gospel of Luke was the beginning and then we have an act two. When we see the mission of God from a strategic perspective, from a large frame view, the events captured in the gospel, from Luke's point of view at least, as he's writing, is only considering the beginning. And so everything that we have in Luke from, from the birth of Jesus, from, from the, the Advent season, the birth of Jesus, all the way through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Luke is calling this just the beginning. The virgin birth, the inbreaking of the kingdom, Emmanuel, God with us, the life and ministry of Jesus, signs and wonders, the miraculous healings, the deliverances, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, arrest, torture, crucifixion, resurrection, all of that constitutes just the beginning. Act one of the work. And now, Luke presents to us Act 2. Act 2 begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ that is the return of Jesus to his Father in order to establish his kingdom. So having completed his work on earth, this is not a formality. This is, this is a vital piece of the plan of God to return crea creation to order. And it's a starting point to understand why Pentecost matters. This is actually something for me that was, was a point of, of frustration because I didn't really understand in, my, in the early days of my faith of why did Jesus have to go back and why do we have to wait for him to return? Jesus' return to the Father is leaving room for what comes next. We saw the ascension of Jesus Christ described, and we see it described throughout the New Testament, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, and the same one who descended is the one who ascends higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. The apostle Peter in 1 Peter wrote, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities in power accept his authority. As we took our trip through the gospel of John we saw that Jesus looked forward to his ascension and his return to the Father as a necessary part 
of what he was doing. In John 16, 28, he says, Yes, I came from the, from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Earlier in that same chapter, in John 16, 10, he says, Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Then in his prayer in the garden, in John chapter 17, he says, Now I'm departing for this world. As he prays to the Father, he says, They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. The ascension is an important part of the plan because it establishes the kingdom of God by giving room to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, based on these scriptures, is now preparing a place for his followers as he steps into glory and he steps into his role as the high priest. John chapter 14 captures it this way. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will, will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. In preparing a place for his people, John 14, Jesus says, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And finally... He ascended, Jesus ascends to exercise his high priestly role. Hebrews 4 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And later in Hebrews chapter 7, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So the ascension then is not the absence of Jesus, but the perpetuation of Jesus through his body, the church. But it would not be a perpetuation of Jesus if the empowerment of Jesus doesn't permeate the church. And it would not be the the. not perpetration, the perp- man, I am going to stumble on this word all, the perpetuation, I'm going to say it three times real quick, perpetuation, 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 man, it really, t- it takes a, a different uh, bend to scripture if we're going to use perpetration, perpetuation, the perpetuation of Jesus, if his mission, if, if his mission is corrupted, if it's selfish, if, if it's about religious pursuits, then we are talking about perpetration, and we're not talking about perpetuating the mission of God. The entire book of Acts is the narrative of how the mission of Jesus continues through the church, this second act that happens because of the ascension of Jesus. 
It's about how the life of Jesus continues with the power of the Holy Spirit permeating the church. His life continues through our activity. It's the continuation of Jesus because the power of the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Over the next several weeks, we're going to Advent Pentecost. We're going to talk about what this means. We're going to seek the Spirit as we define the Holy Spirit's role, His activity, but also His identity. This begins with what Jesus says about the Spirit and about what the Spirit will do. The Spirit, for us, is about bringing power. It's an empowerment. It empowers us for ministry. It empowers us to be the life of Jesus. It empowers us to be the expression of the living God to the world. Some people might know the Holy Spirit by some nicknames. One nickname of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. We hear and we see sometimes in Scripture, sometimes this word is defined, we see that that the Father will send a Comforter, and if we don't understand the evolution of culture over history, we might miss what what we're actually receiving. We might miss what, what the gift is. We might miss what's being provided for us if we only think about our cultural context for the word comforter. The name comforter for the Holy Spirit is linked to to John Wycliffe, who was an English theologian and Bible translator that lived in the 14th century. In his time, though, the word that he translated as comforter had a different meaning, and applying our meaning to that word creates a really problematic dichotomy. The word Wycliffe used for comforter comes from the Latin word fortis, which means brave, strong, powerful, courageous. To Wycliffe, in his cultural understanding of the word fortis, the comforter is one that fills the followers of Jesus with strength, bravery, and courage in order to continue the life of Jesus. So the cultural disparity manifests if we see the word comforter and we think about a contemporary application. My mind, when I'm thinking about comforter, goes to like a big blankie that, that keeps us warm on our bed. The, you know, the two things that, that, that are like, I, I don't understand on a bed are like all of those throw pillows that you're not allowed to use as pillows, and then this big comforter that just kind of makes you sweaty at night. Uh, but when we think about comforter, we think about like the big blankie that, that makes us feel safe, or maybe someone that, that consoles me and tells me that everything's going to be okay. My contemporary lens for comforter also is tied to comfort. Now, I want to be very plain about this. Comforting is important, and it is a role of God that God does come to comfort us and also sends people to comfort us. I'm not talking about that not being true. What I'm talking about is the role of the Holy Spirit as the fortis, as comfort, not being tied to being comfortable. It's a dangerous misconception when we start thinking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit as something that will make us feel comfortable. One of the most enduring lessons I received in the Marine Corps 
was the danger of comfort-based decisions. Decisions made for, for my comfort and how problematic they could be. There was an opportunity for me to learn this lesson well, and I was in a, a, an infantry officer's course that was held in uh, the hills of Quantico, Virginia in January, and it was cold and snowy. And so one of the things that, that you know, when we're out being cold and in the snow, you bring a lot of warming layers just to keep you warm. I made the mistake of putting my warming layers on. And then because all the other uh, Marine lieutenants had done the same, the, the captain that was running the, the exercise decided to show us how dangerous it was to choose our comfort over wisdom. And so he took us out on a little run. And so we ran in our warming layers and began to sweat through all of our warming layers. And as we sweated through our warming layers, I started thinking, like, I put all of my warming layers, I don't have anything left. And, and you know, in January, in, uh, in wet, cold, uh, wet clothes doesn't dry too well. And so he finished the run, and he just asked the question and said, hey, who, who still has a layer to put on right now? And nobody did. He left this message with us as we were contemplating what we're going to do next. You have to think about what comes next. You have to think about how your decisions are going to impact other people. You have to think not about your comfort, but about the situation. Comfort-based decisions will lead to death. As true as it was serving in the Marine Corps, comfort-based decisions lead to death as we follow Jesus. When we decide to be comfortable, what we're really deciding is not the order of the world as it was designed. We're, we're putting ourselves at the center of order. Now, that seems like a harsh word. And I understand why, why also that, that, you know, talking about not making comfort-based decisions, it's, it's, it's a minefield because this is also, this opens the door for potential spiritual abuse, right? This could be uh, the place where, where a leader could say, well, you're just making a comfort-based decision. If you, you know, don't, don't be comfortable, come and do the things that, that you know, that, that I want you to do rather than the things that we find in Scripture. And so what we see here is that Pentecost also is uh, an event that's created massive amounts of division within the church and, and has actually broken relationship with, with people. And, and we've seen this become a place where faith can go to die. And, and that, that, that grieves my soul because that's not the way that it's supposed to be. If we think about what's actually happening here, if we think about, about the difference between decisions that allow us to indulge the easy rather than the correct, that allow us to hold glory to, but keep us from taking that to glory through, We're making the mission about ourselves. Those comfort-based decisions are what allow us to create a religion that says that I can have a relationship without Jesus without doing the things that Jesus did. I can have a relationship with, with Jesus without being concerned about the things that he was concerned about. Making decisions that preserve self rather than projecting sacrifice. 
These are the decisions that, that without the intervention of God, I would be unable to make. Without the coming of the Holy Spirit, I would not be able to conquer comfort-based decisions. As much as I speak evil about that big blankie on the bed, it's really nice in January. I like comfort. The problem is I like comfort too much. If I could have it my way, if I could create my life in a way that, that, that would be kind of authored with me as a center of order, I would be comfortable all the time. And also, I would be pretty miserable to be around because I wouldn't want to be getting into the places of where I could actually sacrifice for another person because that's not comfortable. Without the intervention of God, I am unable to pull myself out of comfort-based decisions. And because that's true, without the intervention of God, I'm not able to do the stuff that Jesus does. So how does this work? How does this happen? How does this fortis? How does this strength? How does the presence of the living God actually come and dwell within us and around us? The event that we are now starting today, Adventing, the day of Pentecost, captured in Acts chapter 2, demonstrates that, that one, that God is unchanging, but like he's done in every instance so far, God provides what we need in order to be in relationship with him and to do the stuff that, that Jesus prepared for us to do. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is an act of God, not a human act. This is an act of God. It's promised by John the Baptist, promised also by Jesus, where the Holy Spirit initiates Christians into realized union and communion with the glorified Jesus, equipping us, enabling us to both be sanctified, but also to be released to service. So we just saw in Acts chapter 1 this promise of the Holy Spirit. The same way that he promises the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 24, this is the reality of the ministry of Jesus that through, through his redeeming sacrifice, his followers will become the intersection of heaven and earth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit inaugurates the age of the church. It's something that we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 on March 28th. As Peter, full of this fortis, the fortis that comes from the indwelling presence of God, steps into his role and does the stuff that Jesus trained him to do. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes onto us when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ. It's for us, for others. Because it gives us the fortis that enables us to take the glory we feel and make it the glory that we reflect. So with this introduction of our Advent season, I also want to acknowledge how, how phrases like baptism of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit, and all things spiritual gifts, all of this, have been used to shame people and to control people. 
this is an historic problem as much as it's a problem that happens in our present day. We're going to move forward together seeking to heal the damage of, of these lies, heal the damage of, of that abuse as we reframe what the purpose and the power of God truly is. As we advent together, we're going to unpack some of these things in, in our Wednesday emails, but we're also going to talk about what this looks like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry, to have this fortis as we advent Pentecost together. Basil of Caesarea gives us this context for what is happening. He gives us a context of, w- of what all of this is about, and he gives us a context for, for what the baptism of the Holy Spirit truly is and how we experience it. He says, just as when a sunbeam falls on bright and transparent bodies, they themselves become brilliant too and shed forth a fresh brightness from themselves. So souls wherein the Spirit dwells, illuminated by the Spirit, themselves become spiritual and sending forth their grace to others. From this comes foreknowledge of the future, understanding of mysteries, apprehension of what is hidden, distribution of good gifts, the heavenly citizenship, a place in the chorus of angels, joy without end, abiding in God, being made like God. So as we turn back to worship this morning, and as we advent the day of Pentecost, we're going to be exploring what the Spirit-filled life is and how it comes about. We're going to pray for each other to be be aware of the Spirit's activity, And we're going to celebrate the beginning of the church age and realize the weighty, felt presence of God through the gift of His Spirit.